Handfuckers, it's 99 here, solo. <laughs> Max took a short vacay, so I'm here for show notes. Yay! And he'll either be mad I went behind his back or touched that I forged on without him. Only time will tell. So before we jump into headlines, remember to subscribe to the new UNFTR weekly newsletter. It hits your inbox every Saturday morning and highlights the weekly episodes, newest YouTube videos, book love, and has a unique write-up from Max. You can sign up by going to unftr.com slash blog and entering your email address in the sidebar. Also, we've been running a merch promo that ends on the 15th. Originally, it was exclusive to the newsletter, but I'm going to break the rules here and tell you the scoop. Just enter the discount code 99ROCKS at checkout and get 15% off on all merch. That includes UNFTR Safe for Work merch and the full Balls to the Wall Unfucking the Republic merch. We have hats, bucket hats, regular hats, trucker hats... Beanies, sweatshirts, t-shirts, tank tops, whatever your little heart can dream. Or someone will be like, but you don't have something. And I'll be like, all right, I'm sorry, not everything. But we have a lot of stuff, okay? So everything, including the aforementioned newsletter link, will be linked in the description of this episode, as well as show notes online. So that's all the housekeeping. And let's get down and dirty into some headlines. So the first one I have here is from Forbes. Twitter Inc. no longer exists as Elon Elon Musk, elongated muskrat inches closer to X everything app ambitions. So this is uh, sort of breaking news. Court filings came out last week that Twitter Inc. just doesn't exist. And the company is now part of X Corp, according to a filing from April 4th. And he decided to tweet out just the letter X this week. He's just obsessed with the idea of X and he wants to just combine everything into one app. This is saying that he's trying to make it akin to China's WeChat, and he wants it to be the biggest financial institution in the world. This says he wants the app to include, quote, a glut of services, including ride hailing and food delivery. So he wants to do WhatsApp, GroupMe, Venmo, Uber, DoorDash, all. He basically wants to make the Internet and make it his. My favorite part of this article, though, it's listed under the tangent subhead. I'm just I'm going to read it. It says, Even as Musk honed in on transitioning Twitter to X, he still had plenty of time this week to engage in some Twitter trolling. The 51-year-old briefly changed his Twitter profile name to Harry Balls on Monday, hours after he revealed the company painted over the W in its logo outside of its San Francisco headquarters to make it appear to say Titter, a reference to breasts, end quote. (laughs) So I just like that Forbes, you know, they had to clarify what Titter meant. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, this is what we've come to. It's like we have legitimate publications all over just having to fucking go a reference to breasts because this adult man is acting like a 12 year old. And if it wasn't so depraved, it would be a little funny, but it's it's pretty depraved. (laughs) So it seems like, you know, we've been talking about we've been talking about Twitter for a while. I can't even remember how long we've had our Twitter pause. I feel like it was around Thanksgiving. And I felt strongly that I didn't want to be on the app personally and also just as our brand because it feels really antithetical to what we stand for to just let this madman take over, ruin things, allow hate speech and all of that. So at this point, I mean, to me, this seems like we've turned a corner and it's never, 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 ever coming back to any sense of normalcy. So... It'll probably, we'll probably end up uh, 
Twitter might go the way of Substack for us, <laughs> where we just kind of sunset our account, for lack of a better word. That's my first headline. And I have a guest headline from my smart, talented, beautiful sister 101. And this week, April 10th through 16th, 2023, is Food Waste Prevention Week. So I read into it, and this is an initiative that's been state-specific for a few years, but it's now a national campaign focused on educating and inspiring real cultural change around food waste in order to help families save money, reduce the negative impact of food waste on the environment, and address hunger in our communities. So this is obviously an amazing initiative, and there are so many ways to get involved. I was diving into their website, and they're hosting webinars, food drives, art contests, and more. Plus, you can take the pledge to commit to reducing food waste and share that on your social media and get other, you know, unfuckers or just regular fuckers in your life to also commit to reducing food waste. And you can check that all out on foodwastepreventionweek.com. So thank you for that headline 101. Always the best. Now, on to some more serious business. This is obviously a My Selection headline. RuPaul's Drag Race season 15 finale is this Friday, and I am hashtag Team Anitra. Okay, this is big news. Need everyone to know. So if you watch it out there, that's who I'm rooting for. So that answers that big question that I know every unfucker had. And uh, to round out headlines, let's hear from a dear friend, Mr. Manny Faces, aka Mini Feces, aka Money Feces, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, 99. It's getting old. I'm gonna edit out those jokes from now on. <laughs> anyway, so I'm gonna give a link. I don't think this is something that's fully on the radar of mainstream publications, but an interesting thing just happened that relates to some of the work that I do in the hip hop world. Rumble, which you may know, and we've talked about in the past, is a right wing leaning video network, a la a YouTube for MAGA folk that has taken on several right wing voices, many of which have been barred or demonetized on other platforms like YouTube. One of those people who was recently uh, banned from Twitch for the third time is a fellow named DJ Academics, who's not actually a DJ, but that's, that's not important. What is important is that DJ Academics has millions of social media followers, has 500,000 followers on Twitch where he streamed regularly before he got banned, and traffics in the kind of content that fuels and perpetuates stereotypes about black people and hip-hop music and culture. This, despite the fact that DJ Academics is black. So any beef that may have crossed over from the streets into music, he covers it. He's all on it. He's commentating on it. He's speculating on it. He's sharing videos. He's sharing names. He's sharing beefs. He's talking about it. Any issue in black culture that's drama-filled or ratchet or is beef-filled. That's his lane. He loves promoting it, talking about it. All the drama, the gossip, the fighting, all of that is his lane. And as we know from history and Jerry Springer, there's audiences for this. His audience happens to be primarily young and black. And I find it incredibly interesting as I look back on UNFTR episodes like Fuck You, Prager You, where I learned personally about the insidious ways that Prager University pulls people into a right-wing ecosystem with seemingly innocuous and, and organic entry points that, that seem fine on the surface or, or feel like home or feel like you're learning something or feel like you're among your people. And then once they got you, these highly funded, ideologically radical platforms, they got you. 
And as we know from the Prager episode, the, the quote from a BuzzFeed article about Prager University suggested that it only took a short amount of time to mold a conservative out of a young, unaffiliated, ill-informed, fairly because he was young, high schooler, that came from a pro-Obama household into a MAGA right-leaning potential voter. And I think the right wing got really excited when Kanye West was doing this work for them, but couldn't really capitalize on it. Black folk had been pretty tired of Kanye West to begin with, so not like they were flocking to his his camp, so to speak. But they may have provided the blueprint to a previously untapped market, black people. And I think they recognized, or at least Rumble did, that their new useful idiot could be DJ Academics. I think it's troubling. I'm going to write a long piece about it. If you follow me, you'll you'll know where to find it. But that's my headline and two cents for this episode. Back to you, 99. Okay, let's head over to emails. We had a good amount of feedback from our affirmative action episode. And this first one is from Dan H. It's a little long, but I think worth reading the whole thing. Dan says, Thanks as always for a great episode about affirmative action and the case before the Supreme Court. I wanted to share about my experience since I work at a large public university, and we were bound by a similar law to California's, enacted in 1997, that, quote, prohibits state and local government entities from discriminating against or granting preferential treatment to any individual or group based on race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin in public employment, public education, and public contracting, end quote. So Dan continues, I'm not involved in admissions decisions at my college, so I can't speak to that aspect of the equation which is the primary conversation about affirmative action. However, I do run a scholarship program that qualifies as a public education benefit, and thus we are unable to use race or sex as a determining factor in our decision-making. Instead, we focus on the benefits of having a diverse population of students, employees, people in any environment, and ask applicants to talk about how they bridge across differences and navigate situations where people are different from them. We allow them to highlight their lived experiences in addition to more, quote, professional experiences. And this allows students of color to share what often is an innate skill set of identifying and working through situations involving difference. Their identity works as an advantage for them in the selection process, but of course, white students who are good at this work would also have the same advantage. Since race isn't the determining factor, effective communication across differences is. In addition, we look at other demographic factors like a student being low income or a first-generation college student who often have higher proportions of folks of color in those cohorts. It's definitely an imperfect system to ultimately get to a more diverse awardees list, but these holistic review tactics that are allowed for these processes do help combat our inability to use race in selection. I'm not sure if admissions decisions use similar tactics, but they could and perhaps that's a way around the loss of affirmative action as a tool. One other note I'll add about college admissions specifically. While affirmative action would allow for public colleges to choose a more diverse student body directly, the fact that universities in states where affirmative action isn't allowed are struggling to do so is more of an indictment of the K-12 systems in those states. If my state had a progressive income tax and didn't fund schools primarily through property tax dollars, we wouldn't necessarily see such vast inequities between students of color and their white counterparts when college applications roll around. To me, affirmative action is a band-aid over the gaping wounds of systemic inequity in U.S. education, and while eliminating this tool isn't a good use of our time, it also can't cure the lack of racial diversity in higher education. I think the conversation needs to be about why students of color are failed by our current education system, instead of whether or not we should be allowed to use certain tools to right the underlying inequities in the system. Anyway, would love your thoughts on this take. 
I don't disagree with anything from the episode, but thought you might appreciate a first-hand account. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate that. Let's see. The scholarship program doesn't use race or sex as a determining factor. Yeah, I mean, I guess that seems like a good workaround system. I think it really does go back to what me and Max were saying at the end of the episode. It's completely imperfect, and how can you fairly decide who deserves a spot at the college, the university, a scholarship, when we have communities that have been marginalized for centuries. So it's hard to speak specifically just hearing like an overview of the selection process, like that that would cure all ills of this system. But you're right, it really does speak more broadly to the inequities we have and the failings of our school system. You're absolutely right. I think that's a great point that we didn't specifically hone in on. I think we you know we talked about marginalization and privilege, but we didn't really drill down into how it starts at kindergarten. It probably even starts at pre-K or daycare. I mean, if you have your kid going to daycare from the age of two, they're essentially in school. And if you can't afford to send your kid to daycare because I'm, you know, I'm not a parent, but from what I've heard from my friends who are parents, it's ridiculously expensive. So if you can't afford that, then, you know, maybe your kid is starting a little bit behind and then you never catch up. It's just like you miss one <laughs> one thing in math and then for eight years of school, you just don't understand math. So, yeah, there really isn't going to be an easy fix for this. I mean, if <laughs> if we had it, uh, I think, well, no, I can't even say if we had it, we'd be doing it because there would be people on the right trying to stop us. But it's good that we have unfuckers in positions where they can look at a situation, hopefully as unbiased as possible, and make the best decision that writes a little bit of history. So thank you, Dan, for writing in and for doing what you do. It's higher education is um, it's a tough job. Sometimes I know it can be a thankless job. So we see you and we appreciate you. Hey, Manny, again, just two quick thoughts. Um, well, one first that. All of these things are imperfect uh, because the entire system really has to be, I guess, abolished and, and reworked from the ground up. If you're really trying to create an inclusive and equitable, like you said, Dan, K through 12, particularly education system. One thought about what was just described is that unless we're doing things like the like what's being suggested for hiring practices, resumes being anonymized. Right. So you don't have the person's name. And of course, you can still tell the person's demographic background in many cases by the style of their writing or what experiences that person's writing about. So if the admissions process or the or whoever's making decisions, even when merit or experience is supposed to be the driving factor, implicit biases are going to be all over this thing. So I don't know. I don't see it as quite an effective Band-Aid to begin with. There's so many brilliant people that I know, again, in my work in hip-hop, I work with a lot of folks who are in the hip-hop education field, which is an extension of the culturally relevant pedagogy world and folks who f who follow and amplify and build on those ideas, and they're brilliant. So I just want to recommend, I know we love books here at UNFTR, check out uh, two books by Dr. Bettina Love that really get into these topics. One is we want to do more than survive, Abolitionist Teaching and the Pursuit of Educational Freedom. And then her upcoming book, Punished for Dreaming, How School Reform Harms Black Children and How We Heal. All right. So we have to not only say 
there's a problem in the school system, there are definitely also problems in how we're choosing to reform it. Okay, Dr. Bettina L. Love is brilliant and an expert in this field. And if you're really interested in these ideas, I suggest those two books. So next we have two unfuckers who wrote in in response to me saying, should we have some sort of Supreme Court expert or someone who specializes in law on the podcast for a phone a friend to talk about this? So Charla Big Sky wrote in and said, there are a few podcasts I follow on the Supreme Court. There are things we can do as citizens to voice our concerns about how the Supreme Court is ruling. So Broken Law outlines how we can get more liberal judges added to the lower courts. And there's another episode that talks about court reform, maybe on the podcast Strict Scrutiny. The episode of Broken Law that Charla shared is called Dear Senate, Please Prioritize Judges. So I'm going to link that episode. And then Nolan C. wrote in and said, I just heard your affirmative action episode. Dahlia Lithwick, who is from the Amicus podcast, which is on the Slate Network, or Leah Littman, Melissa Murray, and Kate Shaw from Strict Scrutiny are all brilliant legal analysts. That's all. Love you. Thank you for that. So that's two recommendations for Strict Scrutiny, which I will link, and I'll link Amicus, which sounds great. I'm definitely going to listen to some of those, send some feelers out, and see who gets back to us. I'd love to get someone who is more of a specialist, not a generalist, and I can't speak to whether these people are specialists or generalists, but like someone who really is doing that work inside affirmative action and knows the justice system well. So I'll be doing that research over the next week or so and trying to get someone soon. And now moving on to YouTube, I'm just going to touch on some comments from the video upload of show notes from last week. Obviously, since I'm doing this, A, don't show my face. B, I'm at home. C, I am sitting in my bed right now. So obviously, there's not going to be a video component here. So you'll have to miss a week. I'm sorry. But we'll be back next week or Max will be back and my ghost voice will be there as well. So these are some comments from the show notes video. This is from Frequent Flyer BSAG who said, listening to y'all talk about languages was a little surreal. English is syntactically German and its most basic vocab is pretty close, but it was a very utilitarian language until about 1066 when the French language became popular in nobility after the Battle of Hastings. And of course, when the rich start using French, the people who want to appear important start using it. I tease and call it Franklish. The words that stuck were often less than utilitarian words, and often they entered English multiple times with different French accents. So warden and guardian are variations of the same French word. It's been a while, but I believe one was a Norman pronunciation and the other was Parisian. Roughly 60% of the English language comes to us via French or Greek. There are still many, many Romance language cognates. Anyhow, German would help in language like Dutch or in places where the Dutch colonized, but not nearly as broadly as the Romance languages. And if you make a real study of the English language, you would notice the most common words in Germanic and many adjectives or other fancy words in the Romance languages, as well as bits from other languages as English love to quote borrow words, although we've no intention of ever giving them back. English spelling is its own interesting bit and firmly related to the political evolutions and feuds in England and its colonized lands. Pretty sure you can now see what makes me gig out the most. Thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, we were both just talking out of our asses about language and we have a real expert here. Uh, I didn't I absolutely did not know anything about our language being close to German, which is funny because I was making fun of German being ugly. And I feel like that's a common joke or trope, I suppose. And I had no idea. French sounds pretty. I mean, there are so many words like I mean, I'm just thinking about like croissant. <laughs> I'm thinking peasant words, croissant, 
baguette, um, champagne. <laughs> those are those are French words. I can't think of any German words that we use instead of maybe like maybe Gesundheit. But I don't know any German words that we would like. Like a croissant is a name of something, but it's a word. I, I can't think of a German equivalent except maybe beer names. So BSAG, you'll have to write back in with some specific examples just because I'm curious. So now we're hearing from Pranjay, who said, In Iceland, where I grew up, it began as a socialist country. The difference between the rich and the poor was little. We never had what is called, quote, old money like they have in Europe. We were few and families tight. No one was left behind. But in the 80s, we saw it slowly become capitalized. So this was because me and Max were talking about, you know, what is socialism as he embarks on that new series. And we love hearing from, obviously, our unfuckers around the globe. And I think that definitely should be part of our socialism series, whether it's on the podcast or their little vignettes Max is putting together. We should definitely have sections where we talk about what socialism could have looked like in these countries, did look like very briefly, and having unfuckers write in about this, like Fran did, would be a great real-world addition. So thank you for that. And then lastly, we hear from Knudsen, who said, Sir Duke, of course, that double album, Songs in the Key of Life, is one of the best ever. Love's in Need of Love Today is basically my favorite hymn. Now, I have to admit, I do not have a robust knowledge of Stevie Wonder's discography. I definitely know the hits and what would be on the radio, and I probably know more songs than I think just by osmosis. But I'll have to check out that full album. Maybe uh, me and Max's daughter can can trade recommendations. Stevie Wonder as from Songs in the Key of Life. One of the greatest songs ever. Period. I was having this conversation with my mom after I had this conversation with Max and, you know, was saying like me and Max's daughter have a, a pretty big age gap. Not huge, but like I was surprised that she didn't know who Stevie Wonder was. And I guess I was trying to compare it to like what year he started would be the same equivalent to my age of like not knowing a singer from X year. And it's just so funny how that happens cyclically. I, I definitely remember finding a song that was like I thought was like a cool B-side from the 60s or 70s. And my mom would be like, I hate that song. It played every day in every store. Just like we have songs that we probably can't hear anymore today because they play in the radio so often if we're just like in the grocery store. So I think that is pretty fun. And as long as we're not gatekeepy about it, where, you know, people can be like, oh, you don't know that person. And uh, it can be very exhausting, especially when you're just trying to get into something new. I think we'll have, you know, the the kids are all right. That's my boomerism because Max isn't here. Maybe we should do a uh, unfucker recommendations thread. Knudsen can organize in the Facebook and we can make like a cool a cool mix of something like a decades mix like an unfuckers decades mix i don't know i keep wanting to make one that's like protest songs i mean i know like spotify and i'm sure there's like 30 different versions but having a cross genre protest song like unfucker rally and cry playlist i think would be really cool so we have to organize that somehow and lastly, and I know this is a short feedback week, but I'm doing this a little earlier than Max and I usually do. I'm sure in the ensuing days we'll have more. And then when Max and I are reunited, we'll have plenty to talk about. But we're, we're closing out here on some reviews. We had two. One from Rita B 22 who said, I believe history is no longer a required school class. So this has to be a real eye opener for the younger people who have not lived the last 40 to 60 years and beyond. 
So thank you, Rita. We also agree that history should be replaced by UNFTR, 100%. And then our last review from Urban 1970 Farmer said, Brilliant podcast that unpacks the issues down to the last crumpled undies shoved into the corner of any political social issue suitcase. Max and 99 are the hosts with the most, most smarts, most humor, most righteous, well-placed anger. Here's how it works. You listen, you learn, you rage, and then you donate to Jessica Cisneros. Be well and multiply episodes. Thank you for all you do. Wow. I mean, I don't know if that could be written any better. We haven't checked in with Jessica or any of our adopted candidates in a while. We should do that soon. But yeah, that is it for this week. I know a short time together, but I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I did most of the housekeeping up top, but as a reminder, you can find everything you need at unftr.com. You can buy coffee at unftr.com slash shop, merch at unftr.com slash merch. You can sign up for the newsletter and read the essays at unftr.com slash blog. Follow us on social at at unftrpod, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at unftr. Email us at unftrpod at gmail.com. You can find many faces on all of the places, sometimes many faces official, sometimes many faces but definitely at manyfaces.com. Tom McGovern, you know, you know the spiel. Come on, you got it by now. Thank you for listening. I'm sorry that Henry the dog did not have any interruptions this week. He's quietly sleeping somewhere, I'm sure. And maybe many faces can treat us to vegan dog. I'll see you soon on fuckers. He's just in bed, and then he got up and started barking. What? What? I want to be a vegan dog.